Shomrabyog. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Collecting Issues, where this week we'll be taking a look at Marvel's Collecting Issues 0 to 4 of the 1994 Marvel series by Alex Roth and Kurt Busiek. <laughs> It's pretty good. Yeah, it was pretty. It's it's nice and handy when they're not like volume one. It's volume twenty two. Pretty good, Benjamin. In the, this case, our case this week, we have the remastered edition from nineteen from two thousand nineteen. Two thousand nineteen remastered edition. Uh, I have read the original edition. I have it around here somewhere else, Ben. And there are very few changes. My God, this one's almost as old as me. It's almost as old as you, Ben. It was nineteen ninety four. So how old were you when this was out? I was bloody four. I was four. Twelve, depending on the month. Depending yeah. on the month it was published in, I was four. I was 12, Ben. I didn't read this when I was 12. I read this when I was about 15 or 16. What? I was impressioned. Very, 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 very impressioned. Um, there's an interesting bit in the back of this, Ben, from noted comic book writer and writer about her. And your favourite comic book writer about her guy. You know who I'm talking about. Uh, I don't, actually. The guy you like who writes about comics, Scott something. Oh, please, Scott McLeod. That's the fella, yeah. Scotty M. Who was a childhood friend of Kurt Busiek. Of course he was. And um, he writes a little bit in the back about oh, how uh, him and Kurt Busiek, when they were young, they wrote a 90-page comic about the superheroes of Marvel battling across and destroying their own town. And when I was a teen, I I attempted to draw something similar, if I remember. Of Dublin? Of actually where I lived, like the local church and the local shops, not just Dublin. (gasps) But I've long since lost that, Ben, unfortunately. But yes, quite this made quite a young impression on my young mind. Michael, that's disappointing that you've lost that. I'd like that for the gram. Uh, Yeah, that would be good for the gram. I don't Mm -hmm. have it, Ben. I'm very sorry. Could you do another one? I'll I'll do one now, will I? Just go on now. I'll, just, I'll start writing it. Why don't you tell us what even is Marvels? Uh, so Marvels is a rather interesting thing, Michael. Um, <clears throat> it centers around one key character, a photographer by the name of Phil, mm-hmm. and Phil's a regular old guy, and a working he, schmuck, a working schmuck, just just grinding it out. And I suppose. Similar to other titles we covered for Marvel on this podcast, Michael, it's it spans a couple of decades. Mm-hmm. Spans a couple of decades, a couple of decades. Um, and he's a photographer, and he's there at the birth of superheroics, at the the kind of Promethean moment where mm-hmm. you know fire is stolen from the gods in a literal sense, a very literal sense, it's a very literal not sense, not that literal. Because, I mean, the gods do exist in this, and it's not that... True, they haven't sung it quite <laughs> that much. So not a literal sense. Um, but I think it's it's telling that he's chosen to use the hu- the original Human Torch, not Johnny Storm, the original mm-hmm. Human Torch, as his starting point for superheroics. I suppose it really is. Well, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, certainly. Well, what this is, Ben, this is the life story of Marvel, the Marvel Universe. To that point. But to the point of 1994. 1994. Yeah. But it's That's not, important. Oh, yeah, it does, it does matter. Numbers. And it becomes very obvious towards the end that it does matter. But it is the life story of Marvel Comics. And Marvel Comics' life story starts with the Human Torch and the Submariner. Yeah. Or Submariner, if you're going to... Yeah, but I mean, if you want to say Submariner, if you want to say Namor the Submariner, that's totally Prince fine. Prince Namor of Atlantis. Prince Namor the Submariner, which is what I called him for many years, Ben, until I heard other people saying it out loud. Submariner. Yeah. 
Yeah, look, it doesn't matter, Michael. It's comics. They're not real. They're not real anyway. It's fine. They're real to me. Uh, oh, ladies and gentlemen, that's what it's all about. <laughs> Bring the joy to a young so, 38-year-old man. Let's <laughs> let's go through this, Ben, a comic at a time. There are four on, there volumes. Are four, there are four issues. Four issues. Four issues. And issue one is very much the golden age. They're, they're books, Michael. They're referred mm-hmm. to as books in the thing, so we may as well keep that. Okay, you can book see. one. Uh, so book one is the 40s. Yeah, the 40s. golden age. You can tell us the 40s, Ben, because everything's kind of brown. It's all sepia tone. Everything's brown and yellow. Sepia is the artistic way of saying brownie yellow. Brownie yellow. Everything's all brownie yellow. The big character is the human torch. Yeah. Do you want to fill us in who he is very he's briefly? A bloody, well, Michael, you and I probably, well, the majority of listeners will probably know the human, well, that's that's assuming a lot of the, the listeners. The majority of people would know the human torch as Johnny Storm. Yeah. He has been played by Chris Evans. And also by Michael B. Jordan mm-hmm. in the two failed attempts at a movie franchise based yeah. on the Fantastic Four. However, before that, he's a bloody android, Michael. Mm-hmm. He was an android that lit on fire when came into contact with oxygen. Yeah. He could let it in or out, and he turned on and he became the Human Torch. He fought in a group called the Defenders. Mm-hmm. It's the, it's the Defenders, the original Defenders. Mm-hmm. Not to be confused with the Netflix series of Defenders. The Defenders were the original anti-Axis kind of superhero alliance from Marvel Comics. You yeah. Had the Submariner. You had Captain America and Bucky. Yeah. And you had Namor. Or, sorry, and you had the Human Torch and uh, one female character. Ah, they had a few. There were all sorts of different, the spidery lady and the man with the hood on his head and whatnot. Look, there are a, a, few lot lads. Of, a lot of them are inspiration for the characters of um, the Minutemen from... Watchmen. From Watchmen. And this has a very similar setting to that, really, doesn't it? The kind of pre-war and early war. Um, our superheroes, are, are these coming... I mean, what's happening in this issue is... When these characters were first created, they were marvels of science and weird freaks of nature and there were stories about them. But eventually they all became good guys and teamed up and shook hands and fought the the Nazis. They were all the best of buds. And And that's what this comic is about, basically. They socked it to Hitler. Um, You had the terrifying thing of the Human Torch, who's a man on fire and kind of, in a lot of ways, an early Incredible Hulk. Yeah. Misunderstood by humanity. Completely. Yeah, and kind of, uh, you know, he has two aspects to his personality where he can blend in or he can be a horrible freak. I mean, it's it's an interesting throwback simply because in the early days of comic books like Marvel and DC, they were horror comics that transitioned. Um, a lot of the times those fantastic and weird tales became the superheroes that we know today. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's a really nice throwback in that regard. Hulk was supposed to be a monster comic. Ant-Man yeah. was a horror comic. Yeah, it, it was all about weird body uh, horror. And they all kind of metamorphosed into superheroes. And that's what we witness. That's what Phil witnesses in this. Interestingly, for book one, one of my favorite things for book one is there's a huge fake news message coming through that. Go on. Where certain people deny the existence of these guys because they just don't want to deal with it. Mm-hmm. But they're like, nah, no, nah, it didn't happen. Definitely didn't happen. No, 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 mm-hmm. no, 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 no. It's all a hoax. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's that big debate among the public as to whether or not this is all bull, bull spit, mm-hmm. um, so to speak. And, uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting tone. I found myself reading it, especially the scene in the diner where Phil's fiance runs into in him. In the Norman Rockwell-esque diner. Yeah, in the Norman Rockwell. No, no, no. There's two. Well, it's the same diner, I think, for both scenes, isn't it? I think so. Um, he runs in there, uh, or his fiance runs in, and she says, oh, I just saw the Submariner, and bullets bounced off him, and da 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 And they're like, mm-hmm. no, it didn't. It didn't Shut happen. Up. And she gets kind of shouted out of yeah. the... 
She kind of gets shouted out of the diner, which is uncool. Mm-hmm. Uncool, guys. Um, that Norman Rockwell diner is a huge part of it. Because is at it one Norman point, Rockwell? I took a guess. Uh, no, it's Edward Hopper. But is it's it a nice guess. <laughs> uh, it was a good guess. It's Edward Hopper's Nighthawks yeah. is the, yeah, the inspiration for that. Yeah, sure. Um, it's just one of the early masters of American modern. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Okay. Uh, and it turns out the Human Torch is, uh, is a fan of the L sandwiches in there, except that he isn't because the food's lousy in here anyway. And he comes in there to listen to people talk about him. Yeah, very hulky. Very hulky. And then he has a storm off. One of my favorite things about this issue, Ben, is that they all find it very hard to get a glimpse of. The, and we get one big splash page on page something or other. Somewhere in the middle where we get a real close-up heroic shot of Namor and uh, the Human Torch fighting. But that's not what any of the gangs see. No, they don't get to see that at all. They don't get to see that. They only see it very far away and they find it hard to keep up with them and follow along and they don't really know what's going on. Do you remember when we watched the movie Chronicle recently? I was just about to bring it up, Michael, but you go on and tell us a little bit more. This has a lot of uh, similarities to that where... They are tiny little man figures, really, fighting up over the skyscrapers. And when you see them in comics presented very heroically, it's very different to see them here as just a tiny little dot in the distance terrifying everyone. I know, it's bizarre. Mm. It's really bizarre. I like issue one. Uh, issue one is uh, probably one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, that brings us on to issue two. Uh, and again, we should point out, Michael, that each one of these chronicles a different kind of highlight in Marvel's career as a comic book company. Yeah. And the X-Men become the center um, kind of the central figures of this series of marbles. Um, well, yes and no. It's the X Men and the Avengers, isn't it? Yeah, but it's the contrast between the two. How the public has adopted one as their saviors, and how exactly how the others seem to be damned for no discernible reason to our fill. This has been my favorite line ever written about Captain America, which Ooh. to me has always summarized how I see Captain America. Go on, then. Uh, you just saucy to, minx. So it's Phil describing seeing a picture of him. Just to catch a glimpse of him, always in motion, always moving forward, like a force of nature in chainmail. Chainmail. Never a hesitation or a backwards glance. It's pretty good. That's To me, that's Captain America. It's pretty solid bloody cap, isn't it? You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's what's great about the character. He's not that superhuman, although the movies have made him a lot more superhuman than They have, he's the a real special guy. Yeah, but that's it. Always moving forward, never hesitating, a force of nature in chain mail. Brilliant. It's scale mail, but look, we won't argue. Yeah. Try not to pick on the lads. <laughs> um, it's their comic after all. Yeah. But yeah, so it should be pointed out, this is the way, yeah. So he gets injured in the last issue, Michael. We should probably point that out. Um, and Phil, Phil loses, loses an, an eye. eye. Yeah. And he becomes the chronicler of Marvels, and he's, it's interesting that he's a one-eyed man in the land of the blind. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a little bit of what we're kind ah. of coming to in the land of the blind. The one-eyed man is king. There's all kinds of visual references here. Michael, take a look at this image of James Joyce with an eye patch, and tell me that's not the exact inspiration for Phil. He does have a bit of a look about him. Come right? on, look he at does that. Have a bit of a look about him. Get that into you. Did James Joyce only have one eye? Uh, he did for a period. Um, grew he, back he, no he did a lot of damage to his eye at one point and had to wear did an eye patch hmm. um, take a look at that though and tell me that's not a large part of the inspiration for Phil sure yeah sure sure I, I think mustache. it is he has a I, I, think it, I think it's a little bit of inspiration for Phil I think there's a lot of Phil going on there um, that's all I could think of reading this I was like why is James Joyce in this Marvel comic book um, one of my favourite things about this issue Michael is the way the X-Men are represented using Cyclops' red glare yeah 
Oh my god, that's that that quick panel, that 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 big panel back here, Michael. I'm just gonna flick through the comic book. Flick through it there. This one here, right there, where they are just menacing to fuck. Mm-hmm. Um, showcases Alex Ross's ability to adapt light to his subjects beyond belief. If you ever want a masterclass in how to do a bit of painting, Michael, ooh wee. Have a look at this. That's quite a bloody panel. His figures aren't always perfect. No, they like can't. Sometimes be. get the proportions a bit wrong. Sometimes the rendering on the faces is a bit simple. Our first, our introduction to J. John Jameson isn't... Uh, it's terrible. Isn't great. That's not great, that bit of work there. A lot of sharp lines. Yeah. A lot of sharp lines. But look, look at that work eyes. on the Human Torch, Michael. Like, human look at the negative space painting yeah, on the incredible. Human Torch. Um, I mean, there's a lot of work in this, obviously, so not every panel can be... I think it was released slowly over time, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, Each of course it was. was like, imagine the amount of work in this and the amount of photo yeah. reference and yeah. everything. But, yeah, not it's not a flawless piece of art. It no. does have its issues. I, don't, I doubt any piece of art is flawless. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, Oops, but in a general amazing. sense, what's what's that now? Windows Defender, ignore it. Windows Defender, having a go at us. Don't you be making fun of Alex Frost, lads. <laughs> um, but uh, this is where, I suppose, Phil transitions from every man to witness mm-hmm. and I, I think that's an important distinction in the initial comic in book one he is everybody else he's the exact same everyone's in the same boat what's going on what's happening what does be going on over there and in this one we start to see his lens of the world and we start to see his questioning of the ethics of the world the the choices that people are making um, and mutants have always been a contentious issue in the Marvel world. Who's baddies and who's goodies? Who's baddies and who's goodies? Um, and the writing is literally on the wall, Michael, throughout this one. It's, uh, what is it, kill all muties scum? Yeah, muties are baddies. He sees Everyone that all the time. And of course, he's forced to confront his own beliefs at one point um, when a young mutant hides away in his basement with his family. Very clever. Michael, I will honestly say that the end of this issue... Gave me a little bit of a, a wobbly upper lip. What happened to Maggie? It's where, what happened to Maggie? And his little daughter asks him, is, is Maggie going to be okay? And he says, I don't know. He says, I hope so. He's, uh, he says so there, no. look. But then he says. Oh, it's the final panel says, I hope so. But the top panel in that one says, yeah. I don't know, Jenny. He doesn't know. He doesn't know, Jenny. It's a bit sad. Maybe very, very sad. sad. It, um, do you think the whole point of this is uh, Kurt Busiek trying to trying to justify to himself why the X Men are hated and Fantastic Four are loved? And I I I don't see why that would look. I I think it's probably this is definitely following on from something like Watchmen, where we're allowed to have a postmodern look at superhero culture, superheroes mm-hmm. in general. I think this is a much nicer version of Watchmen I think it's a much kinder representation of those questions mm-hmm. um, and I think that probably speaks volumes to the two men that wrote their the, the respective storylines um, this is tackling the subject without tearing down their heroes mm. this is trying to I suppose in a way Kurt Busiek is probably trying to peel his way through why do we write the narrative in this way for these characters? And um, why on earth would we allow the other characters to be absolutely fine? Um, and they slowly peel their way through that as they go along. The X Men only really feature in issue two. They're not a huge no. They're influence. not. They're not there that much. And one of my favorite things about them is they're very much a boogeyman. They're, they're not mutant. They're a boogeyman. They're a memory that Phil has of these eerie, spooky, scary skeletons. 
hiding in the dark and he's slowly forced to confront that with a real mutant and it's interesting they chose to make such a cute little mutant big old eyes big buggly eyes big buggly eyes um I don't know. It's it's an interesting look at how we treat immigrants in general. It's an interesting look at how we feel about that kind of thing. Again, there's an odd echo of today's modern fake news, anti-immigrants, slowly so? centre-right-leaning. Mm. That's existence. an interesting point because in a lot of ways, this is a throwback to the 60s of mutants where mutants were the, the big scary thing that was coming. But it's weird that that's still the story with mutants. I think it's time in the modern Marvel comics to adapt yeah, they've never done that, Michael. Yeah, come on. Come on, they've do never anything. Nailed that, lads. Do get anything. On it. Issue three, Ben, is about this shiny prick. First time you ever call me a shiny prick. Look at him. Um, Look at that cover. It's bloody, it's bloody Silver Surfer. Um, I don't know why I didn't. That voice doesn't make any sense. Um, bloody brilliant cover again, Michael. Such such rendering of a metal. It's very good. It's the rendering of a metal. The play of the colours and the light. And, the reflection. And, and the reflection of the Human Torch on his chest. Good grief, Human Torch 2 this time, Johnny Storm. Very good. Um, uh, a change in colour scheme as well. Brighter. Brighter because it's the 70s. It's gone all blues. 70s, 60s, I think, I think the Galactus was the late 60s. Probably the late 60s. But this one is full of apocalyptic imagery. Yes. And cosmic goings on. And again, it's not really a lot to do with the heroes themselves. No. it's That's the most important part. It's dealing with the shitty behavior of certain people in the face of certain apocalypse. One of my favorite scenes from this is where uh, Phil does the perfect old man thing. And he's like, can you shut up and stop <laughs> preaching about doom and gloom around my daughters? Yeah, You're upsetting up. them. Shut up. You real prick. Um, shut up out of it. My shoes are wet. And yeah, it's just, I mean, some of the panels and the way they're designed and drawn are just lovely. What my favorite thing about this one, Ben, is the whole thing with Galactus. Galactus has arrived. People are like, "Where's the X Men? Where's the Fantastic Four? Where's the Avengers?" But no one really knows what's going on. Yeah, which makes so much sense because they're all miles away. And Captain Fantastic holds up a thing to the thing, and your man he falls off the building, but he's grand. And yeah, they don't know what's going on they, it, because you wouldn't if you were on the ground. You'd be there listening to the radio and watching TV and trying to figure it all out. And this is pre-internet, Mick. Mm-hmm. Pre-internet. I like the, some of the suggestions that it's another one of those Orson Welles jokes. Yeah, a lot of people seem to think that it's a hoax, it's a mm-hmm. bloody scam, it's a it's a bamboozle. Mm-hmm. Um, but it isn't. It's bloody the end. It's the end of the world. Well, it's not. No, and that's reflected later when they see some some sentinels or something flying across the sun, heading towards Earth, and Phil just very casually says to somebody, "Don't worry about it." Yeah, it's just some cosmic invasion. The gang will sort the it out. The gang will sort it out. And that, that'd be uh, interesting, wouldn't it? It'd uh, just uh, slowly uh, grow up with that certainty. And then we'll turn on them. Yeah, as as time goes by, naturally. Some of the panels, Michael, I mean, look at that. Taking <laughs> taking concepts by Jack Kirby mm-hmm. and just updating them massively to beautiful gouache watercolour renditions. Like just Alex Ross. Little snapshots of the the famous battle between the Fantastic Four and the Silver Surfer and Galactus. But he chooses moments so carefully. One of my favourite things from this one is again in the ending scene there, Michael, where it's kind of more of a comment on human nature, I suppose, where we're never happy with Anton. And he's just like, because a lot of people are grumbling saying, oh, they should all be locked up. Da, 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 da. And he just kind of snaps. He's like, fuck you. Everything's fine. Everything's they save fine. the day all the time. And you guys don't give them nothing. You don't give You're them nothing. You're always being mean to that Spider-Man You're kid. A real bunch Especially of this weaselly Peter Parker guy. Oh, yeah. He has a go with Peter Parker. Yeah, I, I like forget that. about that. And it's like, oh. So issue four, Benjamin. Go on. It's about Spider-Man. 
and brings us into the modern era of comics, I suppose. At the, the dark time. times. The, the at the time modern era. But Ben, we have to take a little sideways little diversion here when we get into issue four. Go on, man. And talk about how autobiographical this is. Is Phil, Kurt Busiek and Alex Ross... Trying to make sense of a world? No. I mean, this is their life story as Marvel comic fans. Yeah. Seen through Phil. In the beginning, it was all these weird and wonderful things which made no sense. Then they all started teaming up to fight the Nazis. Then there was the glory days of the the Avengers and Where the cosmic never era. End. And the, the creepy mutants coming in and making us all think about stuff and whatnot. Yeah, don't put messages in my comics, man. Get out of here. But it's very autobiographical, Ben, and very meta-referential in a lot of ways. Well, you seem to have decided so, Michael. Go on. Go on. Well, for one thing, Phil is publishing a book called Marvels. <gasps> in this book called Marvels, so meta. he's publishing a book called Marvels. Oh, the madness. The cover of Phil's book, Marvels, was the cover of the original trade by- paperback of the book Marvels. Not the one we have, where it's the most famous scene of the Green Goblin and <laughs> Gwenjamin Stacy. Go on, expand more on your world within a world. Yeah, no, world. no, that's all I mean. That's all I'm saying. Is it a? It, obviously, he's a cipher for the writers and the artists. And I think he's a cipher for anyone who grew people, up with comics. Yeah, so. the people who grew up with comics. That's yeah. where, that's where I was going. I, I think it's. I think it's. I suppose that transition from light, airy, and breezy comics and a world of fantasy into the darker world where people like Gwen Stacy were under threat was probably mm-hmm. quite a difficult transition for some people. Yeah, because it's like, hey. It's not my Marvel. No, the old Black Widow is very sexy. That's not my Marvel. Settle down. Will you? Jesus. <laughs> Kids listen to this. Um, but I, I suppose that would have been difficult for people that grew up in the very early days of comic books where everybody was okay and everything worked out fine. Well, not in the very early days because in the very early days it was freaks and mutants and horrible weird stuff. Yeah, but then in you the had the new days. security yeah. of medium days of, oh, it'll be fine. Mm. The gang got it. Don't worry about it. And then suddenly we transitioned back to, oh, wait, wait, what? <laughs> What do you mean she's not coming back? What do you mean he didn't save her? What do you mean? What do you mean? We take an odd diversion in this one. To Luke Cage. To, oh yeah, that's weird. It's a bit weird, isn't it? It, it doesn't, doesn't really fit. go anywhere. The Luke Cage black exploitation thing. Thing. It feels like it. Oh, we should probably throw that in, shouldn't we? We should probably yeah, we should probably cover the non-white superheroes at some point. The little reference to Falcon being black on the outside but white on the inside and then they meet a real black superhero but then nothing really comes of it it's a bit harsh on Falcon it is a bit harsh on Falcon but I think that was a common criticism of Falcon in the old oh was it it was just a white guy in a he was a white guy with with black skin but yeah no it doesn't really go anywhere the real meat and two veg of this is Phil Spider-Man hating what's happening with Spider-Man basically because the public's turned on him the mm-hmm. court of public opinion is devouring him whole. Yeah, one of my favourite ever panels of Gwen Stacy is this one here. Where she's dancing in the rain? Where she's... Da- yeah, she's essentially startled by... And I think probably Alex Ross's favourite panel as well. Where and he's I a think, manic pixie dream Gwen? There's a little bit of a manic pixie dream Gwenjamin about it, alright. Because right. I think I think Phil falls in love with her a little bit. He does a little bit, doesn't I he? Think, I think Phil's got a little shine for her. Not everyone knows that Gwen Stacy is short for Gwenjamin Stacy. She's named after you. She's named after me. <laughs> Named after me because of my beautiful blonde hair yeah. and stunning legs and yeah. a miniskirt. It's actually this, sorry, it's this panel here I'm talking about where she's in the glow of the of the crustacean-y ship things and just in awe and she's like, she's she's the end of innocence, basically. Yeah, it's the death of the, the innocence of the Marvel Age. Mm-hmm. And she gets thrown off a bridge. And she gets fucked off a bridge. And she dies. <laughs> Suboptimal. 
Yeah, Green Goblin. Such a prick. It's pronounced Goblin, actually. Sorry, Green yeah. Goblin. Yeah. Such um, a pricking. No good. No good. But then, Ben, do you want to explain the last couple of pages there? For the last one? couple of pages were challenging for me. I had to read them a couple of times, Michael. Oh, really? Um, Go on. Mainly because I have the literacy of a two-year-old. Yeah. Um, and big words make my brain hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically... I suppose his frustration reaches a fever pitch for for good old Phil here. Yeah. And Phil has really lost his faith in the marvels that he once marveled at. Yeah, yeah. Um, And he has an assistant. He's picked up an assistant um, as he goes along. And he has a lifetime collection at this point because Phil's an old man at this point Mm -hmm. in the story. Um, And he's picked up a lifetime's worth of photographs and documenting of these creatures. And he just has a moment of extreme fever where he's like, I hate this. This (laughs) is all wrong. I'm sick of it. Good God. Do you think he's saying comic books are for the young? Is that his message? Uh, Is he passing it off and saying, I'm too old for this now? Let the young people. I'm too old for it. I don't agree with it anymore. I don't like where it's going. It's for the young people. Here you go. I, def- I definitely don't think that. I think it's a recognition of his time to put away childish things. Do you think I don't so? Think, I, I don't think he's criticizing whether or not they have a place. Mm-hmm. I think he's saying that They're they belong at a very certain point in time for people. Is that what they belong saying? in their youth. Hmm. I disagree. Okay, cool. Um, he seems to get some kind of some kind of reconciliation with it because he takes the photograph with the young man. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I, I missed the message at the end of this. I didn't I didn't get it well, properly. He's taking a picture with this young man who's like a totally ordinary run of the mill kid, Ben, but you do know who that is, don't you? I missed it. I... It's Danny Ketch. Danny Ketch the second ghost rider. Means nothing to So me. after Johnny Blaze, Danny Danny That's Ketch. Why he's on a little trike. He's on a little on bicycle. A bicycle. He's delivering newspapers. So it's not an ordinary kid at all. Because nobody's normal in the Marvel Nobody, universe. Everyone's superheroes. But also, Danny Ketch is from the kind of grim and gritty 90s era. And he was the next wave. Yeah. That's very clever. A real spiky, spiky, grim, evil. Very clever. Uh, ghost Rider. And the real message of the story was, inside every young man is a, a demonic hell, hell, hell force. Demonic hell force. Yeah. Benjamin. Yes. What did you think about the art? Oh, Michael. Take my breath away. Okay. Um, no, I think this is peak Alec Ross. I think this is Alex Ross at his best. I think there's a lot of love gone into this. I think he has painstakingly rent. Look at that. Like, ah. Uh, the rendering, Michael, the character design, the way he's done them, like the level of gorgeous art in every panel. Nearly every yeah, panel. Nearly every panel. Okay, there's some panels that don't. But the covers, Michael, the design, the effort. Ugh. No, I mean, this took years to make. I Such think. movement. Oh, the movement Such is non Such movement, Michael. Sometimes the superheroes, by being so realistically rendered, it does show how their costumes look like bad cosplays. Yeah. But, Michael, one of the criticisms that's often leveled against Alex Ross on occasion is stiff. Statuesque and stiff. Right. Not at all the case in this. He no, seems well, look to at Captain really America leaping over something. Beautiful move. This is a great part. I mean, I know we got Ant-Man's crotch in your face. Yeah. But look, Ant-Man's always putting his crotch in people's faces. It's, it's one of the things we don't like about Ant-Man. An enormous crotch. Enormous crotch. It's hard not thing. to put it in people's faces. Mm. Um, the beautiful movement in, in the work. Michael. I used to hear about Alex Ross paintings as being described as the photoreal work of Alex Ross. It's not photoreal. It's not photoreal at all. It's very, um, it's very 1970s sci-fi cover. Very 1940s, 50s, 60s, 70s sci-fi cover. Uh, his mother, mm-hmm. uh, Michael, was a cigarette ad painter. 
Was she? From the 40s and 50s. I didn't know that. Um, so what inspires his style more than anything else is that idealized style of the 40s and 50s he learned under his mother. Mm. Um, and that's that's what shaped a lot of that. And when you look at them, Michael, yeah, it's bloody obvious. Mm. All those idealized forms, all those idealized young men and women. In the big the big chests. Not madly muscular, though. No, it's quite a realistic, realistic thing. They're realistic folks. Namor is pretty muscular. He's swimming all the time, Michael. He's swimming. He's down like there Michael under Phelps. The, under the sea. Under the sea. He's the Michael under Phelps the of comics. Stop that now. Benjamin, <laughs> what do you think uh, this went on to influence? Other than, Ben, all comics. Just about fucking everything, yeah. Michael, was what I was going to say. Um, the boys wouldn't exist without this. Um, all that World War Two in issue one. The, the boys, uh, Gareth Ennis has clearly picked up a lot of inspiration for his series, The Boys, with Dynamite Comics. Mm-hmm. Um I don't think powers would exist. The oh, Brian yeah. Michael Bendis yeah, yeah. thing. This perspective, this this concept of seeing it from the ground up. Yeah, a normal person in a world of superheroes. A normal person in a world of superheroes. I think these guys tackled it first. I think they, they well, I can't say that with any great certainty. I take that back. Um, but I, I think it's influenced so much, Michael. They're trying to make sense of a world filled with gods and, and monsters and, and the like. So many things, Michael. Inspired yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, the interesting thing, Ben, is most comics influenced by this, which came later, would have ended up with Phil getting dragged into the story somehow. Well, it's interesting that you say that, Michael, Thank you. because one of the, the huge inspirations... Thank you, ben. Okay, settle down. One of the huge inspirations that I think came from this, Michael, yes. and probably reappeared, I, I reckon the lads over at DC Comics were taking a look at this and went, hey, this Alex Ross guy. We'll get him in. He's pretty fucking good. We'll have him do a thing, a comic about a down-to-earth normal man who takes a trip through the entire history of our comic company. In a slightly different way, though, because it's a different universe this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, different universe. Are you talking about Kingdom Come, Ben? I'm talking about Kingdom Come, Michael. Now, Kingdom Come came out in 1996. Yes, it was essentially the follow-up to this. Four issues. Mm-hmm. With an everyman narrator, yes. Norman McKay. Yeah. A preacher who's grown up with these characters. Exactly. And experiences a loss of innocence. And looks a bit like Phil. And looks actually. a bit like Phil. He's an uh, everyman. They're based on his father. Whose father? Alex Ross's father. Alex okay. Ross. Uh, Norman McKay is based directly on Alex Ross's father. Mm. And he said that a huge inspiration for uh, yes, Phil well, there was his father. Kingdom Come is very much the DC equivalent of this. It is. But... They are very different. Kingdom Come is a story about the DC. It's a story that takes place yeah. in the DC universe. It's not just there's a kind no of doc- way out. Yeah, It's not a, of a biographical. It's element. not a bio- biography of a normal person in the universe. Mm. It's not a biography of the universe, which is kind of what this is. But I think that would have had a huge influence. Of course, it did with Alex Ross. And if you like this, Ben, you will probably enjoy Kingdom Come. No, oh, I think you. I think you'll roll around in it with sheer joy. Yeah, it's, it's also quite good. Yes, it's a very good comic. You know what else you'll like if you like this, Benjamin? Go on. You'll probably enjoy Kurt Busiek's other series, Astro City. I never got into Astro City, Michael. I have not read all of it, Ben, I will not lie. But it is about old school superheroes in a city, Astro City. Astro City. Yeah, and it ha- it carries on. Windows Defender is in full agreement with Astro City. Get out of here, everybody. It's a fan. Um, so, it... Um, it... What was I saying? Astro City. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it carries on a lot of these uh, concepts of, like, superheroes as icons, basically. Yeah. They're and, and, go and... Go on. Uh, written by Kurt Busiek. Yeah. 
covers and character designed by Alex Ross. Sure, who else would it be by? Didn't do every issue, obviously. Didn't actually draw the comic, but covers and, and character designs, Alex Ross. So you'd probably enjoy it. Probably, more than likely. You probably would. It's bloody enjoyable. You know what time. else you might enjoy? Go on. Spider-Man Life Story. If, you've, if you haven't heard of that one, ladies and gentlemen, you want a bit of a deeper insight into it, I'm sure there's only a collecting issues all about said thing. Very good. You can go back and check it out. Um, read the comic first, as always. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, read the comic uh, first. A lot of the events that happen in this are in that too, and there's a bit of cross-reference and stuff like that. I want to give us your final thoughts there. That's pretty much it, I think. Oh, okay. Well, that was quick. No, that was pretty much it. That was pretty quick. Ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen. Oh, the listeners, yes. yes. Um, what yes. do you think of it? When you grew up, when you grew up uh, and you were a 15-year-old sprog, yeah. did you read this? Did it have an impact on you? Yeah. Uh, not you, Michael, the listeners. Oh, um, did it have a big influence on you? Was it, a, was it a, a life-changing moment? Was it a watershed moment? Was the impact of it lost on you until you were a little bit older and you read it and went, oh, that rings a little bit true in my heart. The cavernous, the cavernous dark place that is my heart, devoid of any childlike joy left behind. Also, Stan Lee does the intro. And does a nice little shout out to uh, Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko. As he should. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stan Hog all the glory league. Yeah. Of course, all dead now. All dead now. The whole the whole gang mm-hmm. up in heaven arguing about rights. <laughs> um, but yeah, what did you think of it, ladies and gentlemen? How did you feel about it? Next week, ladies and gentlemen, we will no, be taking a look. Two weeks time, Ben. Uh, two weeks time. Sorry, we do this every two weeks. Um, two weeks time, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be taking a look at Snow Glass Apples by Neil Gaiman. Snow Glass Apples, is that Colleen what it's called? Doran. Yeah, Snow Glass Apples um, with commas in between each of those nouns. Um, Snow Glass Glass Apples by Neil Gaiman and Colleen Doran uh, in a new hardback one that came out in 2020. It says here um, it's a short story. In it was a short, short story, story and it's been adapted into a comic book, Michael, and we're taking a look at it because oh, two good. great Gaiman fans are we. Yes, very good. We are fans of Gaiman. That'll be, um, that'll be good. Yes, yeah, so that'll be good. We'll be taking a look at that in two weeks. Ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to you. What do you want us to cover here on Collecting What did issues? you think about Marvel? What, what did you think of Marvel? What would you like us to dissect in our kind of now well-established, bitter, kind of like, we could have done that. Way. That's fine. Uh, we don't actually do that. That's kind of lucky. Um, if you're listening to us on Spotify, give us an hour like. Share it around. Follow us, please. Uh, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, do the exact same and leave us a review. Um, if you are listening to us on YouTube, go on, give us now a thumbs up. Just go on. Probably not listening to us on YouTube. Probably not. Very few people do. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you are, go on. Go on. Go on now. Click it. Come on, be an L Marvel. Do it now. <laughs> <laughs> Very witty. That's all from us, ladies and gentlemen. We will talk to you next. I don't think you told them about the website. I didn't tell them about the website. Seanmorebeog.com, S-E-O-M-R-A-B-E-A-G.com. Means find a room in Irish. Does indeed. You can also find us under that same moniker at Instagram. Okay, bye. Bye.